In the unprecedented times of the 2020 pandemic, our country's digital divide became widely exposed and the effects of increasing economic and digital inequalities became more apparent. As the founder and president of a technology firm, Ed Christmas questioned the reason for this, as well as the underrepresentation of blacks in the field of technology and entrepreneurship. On this podcast, Ed Christmas talks with guests about what is their why and the road they are on to bring our society to a place of greater economic and digital equality while sharing the good news of those making a difference. Welcome to The Road to Why, presented through the partnership of Cisco and Sology Solutions, a proud member of the African-American Cisco partner community. Welcome to The Road to Why, where we highlight individuals and organizations that are making a difference and having an impact on our community. I am your host, Ed Christmas, and I am pleased to have joined me today, Gabriel Beltran, Assistant VP for Dallas Area Rapid Transit. Welcome, Gabriel. How are you today? I'm doing great, Mr. Christmas. How are you doing, sir? I'm doing awesome. Thanks for coming on. I know it's been a while since we communicated, but uh, this sh show is about, you know, getting minorities uh, involved in technology and how they uh, making an impact in our communities and organizations mm -hmm. like yourself, how you're impacting our underserved communities. So with that said, uh, I know you're playing several roles at DART. Do you want right. to just share with the audience, you know, your current role and how you're helping out the organization? Yeah, as well? and just as a, as a real quick uh, history. So about three years ago, uh, we had a mass exodus of employees at the agency. Uh, we had an early retirement incentive program. And at that time, we had a lot of employees that had a lot of tenure at DART. And uh, many of them took the early retirement. It was right during the right at the beginning of the pandemic. And so we lost a lot of leadership, a lot of people that had been there for a long time, a lot of upper management, even our CEO took a, that uh, advantage of that package. Um, at that time, um, I was placed in the interim uh, vice president role for at that time, the department was called the Department of Diversity. Hmm. And the responsibilities and roles of that department was um, Title VI compliance, EEO compliance, ADA compliance, as well as DBE compliance, minority women business programs and small business. So. Uh, I had been interim over that department, uh, interim vice president for about three years. And that was until about, oh, three weeks ago where okay. we actually brought on our, uh, new vice president and the department is now called, um, EEO and cultural engagement. Okay. A lot of that is because due to the current political mm. and cultural climate that we live in, we've had to change the name of the department as well as, uh, some of the roles that were originally within that department have been moved out and put into our procurement department. Uh, so over the past three years, I've been VP of that department. But as of right now, uh, I'm, my current role is vice uh, assistant vice president for diversity and vendor management, which is in essence um, responsible for the implementation of the DBE program, MWB program, small business program at the agency. Got it. How long have you been doing that role? Oh, man. So that role... Um, well, let me, let me, let me just say, I've been at the agency for over 20 years. Okay. <laughs> I came in as a summer intern in 1999. Wow. And that was all within, uh, the same department at that time. It was called, um, diversity and economic opportunity, but basically the same roles and responsibilities. The department of civil rights is really what it was. And I've been in that role, uh, working in that capacity, my entire professional career. So since I've been uh, 20 years old, that's what I've known. It's the only thing I've known. Right. And I have a very strong passion for. Um, working with minority women-owned businesses. And it's one of the main reasons why I did not apply for the vice president role that's currently um, in place now because the role of the small business and MWE program got moved out of that department. Got it. So when that happened, I knew that I was not going to apply for the VP role. And 
now that it's in procurement. But um, I love uh, working with uh, companies like you and getting to know individuals like you, seeing small businesses grow, right? Uh, you know, graduate from the DBE program and, and grow their capacity and, and grow their employee base and just see them be successful for their employees and families. I mean, that, a lot to me. That's awesome. And I'm glad you're in that role. And I know the... Uh... The exodus that happened, and like you said, it was right at the pandemic, so timing was perfect, and ridership uh, decreased, so I'm very familiar with everything that was going on yes, at sir. the agency. Talk to me about DARTs, and DART for people that aren't in Dallas, D Dallas Area Rapid Transit uh, Agency. Uh, talk to me about um, what their mission and vision is uh, for the community and how they're impacting the community. Right, so it's funny you mentioned that because we're actually going through somewhat of a, of a change into the um, the old guard of, of what our old vision and uh, expectations were for the agency as well as for the public. And uh, we have a, a new CEO, our previous CEO, Mr. Gary Thomas, mm -hmm. left our agency after being there for about 20 years. And so <clears throat> our new CEO, Ms. Nadine Lee, coming from LA Metro, uh, she's really shaking the place up and for the better in my opinion uh she's been a breath of fresh air to the agency ever since she's came on board and one of the things uh, first things she did was you know replace a lot of these senior management executive management was there and now she's really focused on uh, changing um, the culture at dart and that includes a new strategic vision at the agency where uh you know obviously we're here to serve the public and in the past, DART has really been a construction at the and it's really been a construction agency purchasing land, building out our mm -hmm. land rail system, and not really having focused on the maintenance of our system and, and the quality of service that we've been given to our employees, or excuse me, to our customers. Ridership. Ridership, right. And so that's her real focus right now is to, is to make a strong commitment to the community, making sure that DART is a um, mobility and an economic driver within our North Texas region because we know that our region is going to be growing millions and millions mm -hmm. in the next 20 years. So we have to be ready for that. We can't keep expanding our, our freeways as you as I'm looking right here at the uh, 635. There's nowhere <laughs> left or right that we can build out those freeways. Right. And if you see this at five o'clock, you know that it's extremely crowded. So we're really uh, building our uh, transit system with that in mind for the future for the growth of this region. So mobility being such a key piece, and when we talk about underserved communities, it didn't hit me. I'm originally from New York. It didn't hit me until I came to Dallas to realize how important uh, transportation is. In New York, as you can imagine, mm -hmm. there's plenty of subways. There's plenty of uh, what I call arteries throughout the city. You could get to anywhere. Uh, I noticed I was working with youth, and we were trying to get them internships at certain parts of uh, Dallas. And it was just difficult, even with DART. Uh, how does that change? Because you talked about you can't build any more uh, freeways. There's not a lot of land either to keep building what I call fixed tracks. Does technology play a part of this at all? Yeah, technology is, is a huge part of that strategic vision. Um, and, uh, you know, one of the things historically about DART, and in general, in the North Texas region, for people that are, that are now, that are watching this podcast, video podcast that don't live in the North Texas region, Historically, in, in Dallas, public transit has always been seen as something hit, we don't may necessarily want in our neighborhood, right? It brings mm. a particular mm. type of person to our neighborhood, and it's just not looked upon favorably. Uh, and we're really trying to change that, especially in a, in a big car culture, which we live in in Texas. Mm -hmm. um, and one of the one of the factors that's involved in, in Nadine's uh, strategic vision is a 10 by 10 plan. So that what that means is that, that when an individual gets off of our system, whether it's rail or bus, that uh, they're able to have a 10 minute walk to any, to whatever location that they're trying to reach. 
And then when they return, that they only have to wait no longer than 10 minutes to mm. receive that service, whether it's rail or bus. So in order to do that, our systems have to be smart with technology. We have to have uh, ITS. We have to have smart uh, signals um, systems for our buses only to operate, uh, not have to follow the same traffic signals as our Car. cars and trucks on the road. And so we have to use smart um, GPS, smart mapping. So yeah, all that's involved into this our, our new strategic strategic plan moving forward. No, that's awesome. Uh, as you know, tr uh, technology changed the whole uh, ride sharing uh, roadmap when you know the Ubers came into. Uh, town. Are there partnerships with those types of ridership? Right. Yeah. So we, we do have partnerships with Uber and Lyft uh, currently, and we also um, operate a um, on-call service as well within certain uh, areas of our, of, our, of our service area where uh, they can call a Dart and actually we'll be able to provide them a ride just like they would with Uber or Dart or excuse me, Uber and Lyft. So, so yeah, go ahead, sir. Talk to me about affordability because when I think of Uber, uh, there's certain parts of our city that um, they're not going to be uh, willing to jump into an Uber. Does DART offset that in any way when you're dealing in underserved communities and them having to be complemented to get to a train station or bus uh, transfer center? Yeah, so the service that we provide, it's um, it, there's no surge pricing or anything like that, like you would see in a typical rideshare with Uber and Lyft. We, we have a we have a fair policy just like we do for our trains and buses it's the same for that particular service as well got it so what are some of the challenges in your role uh, you talked about diversity and vendor management <laughs> and uh, I've known you in the role for many years and I think you've done an outstanding job what are some of the challenges uh, that you're seeing maybe in the past as well as in the future right so <clears throat> right now you know a lot of things are going on uh, that I haven't seen in 20 plus years mm. in, that I've been in this business. Um, external factors, internal factors. We have people at the highest levels of our agency uh, that do not support all of a sudden minority women-owned business programs. Mm. Obviously, we you know we have a governor in this state that doesn't support minority women-owned programs. Um, and so we're dealing with political forces, we're dealing with internal forces. And there's been an attack on, on just the word diversity. That's right. why we had to change the name of our department. So um, we have to, we're, we're kind of in a mode now where we're going to keep doing what we're going to do, mm. what's important. Nadine has made a commitment to um, keep our programs going forward. Uh, I know there's been some legal uh, challenges in Houston, as, as, as close as Houston. Obviously, there's some challenges to the DBE program on a federal level as well. Mm. And that's because... Uh, it, they're using reverse discrimination, right? right? So um, basically the DBE program, NW program, uh, covers every single individual except white males. And so the, um, that particular group is really using, you know, quote unquote, reverse racism, right? right, to attack those programs. And so it is very challenging right now. I'm, you know, as long as I'm in the role in the position that I hold, I'm going to be going full steam ahead and act, and act like nothing and operate like nothing is happening. Because I know at the end of the day, if you do what's right, you can't be in the wrong. Exactly. Yeah. And it's just not DART. So this right. isn't a DART issue. This is all agencies are faced with it. You mentioned it. It's coming from the governor uh, putting pressure. And it, it's just a political environment. And unfortunately, um, it's become a um, negative word, right? The whole right. DEI. Uh, with that said, what have these programs brought to the agency when you talk about 
someone coming up, it's important for us to have diversity. It's important for us to have small businesses. What what was the benefit for uh, DART? Right. So, I mean, at the end of the day, we're a publicly funded transit system. So we wouldn't exist without <clears throat> uh, our sales tax that we receive. Every single person that goes to the Galleria Mall, right mm -hmm. across the freeway there, whatever they spend, some of that money is going to DART. And so we want to make sure that in all of our procurement opportunities, that every single person has an opportunity to be involved in that. And we all pay taxes and, and it's a publicly funded system. And so everyone should be able to, to be awarded a contract or be involved in contract in our contracting processes some way, somehow. And uh, I've seen businesses, you know, start out construction companies that just start out just, you know, laying concrete, very mm -hmm. basic work, five employees. And I've seen those, that same company 10, 15 years later, now joint venturing hundred million dollar projects mm. with uh, huge office spaces, multi-floor office spaces, you know, uh, dozens of trucks, construction equipment, uh, hundreds of employees, and then just to, just to see that, it it uh, you know really strikes a chord in my heart uh, because by no means would I take any credit for that because that credit all <laughs> due to them, right. but uh, allowing them to at least provide them an opportunity, right? Uh, for success at an agency like Dart, where there's plenty of opportunities for for small businesses to exceed, uh, that just it just kind of it just makes me extremely happy. So, can I add to that participation? Right. Uh, I use the term, or we use it from a small business uh, perspective, having a seat at the table. Right. Uh, inclusion is another word you'll hear that's uh, being negative, but at the end of the day, uh, we all know, especially in construction, it was a good old boy network. Sology Solutions is in technology. We see it in technology. Mm -hmm. um, kind of the purpose of this show was to highlight the struggle of minorities participating in technology, mm -hmm. uh, whether it's on the engineering side or the sales side. So uh, we know the struggles there, it's real. So when you talk about the success stories, you're talking about taking a company that you know had five people and now they have 50 people and you know, participating in a million dollar project and a hundred million dollar project I like to use the word for the city as well as the agency, it's about economic development, right? Right. Because that company that's local that had five people that have 50 or 100 now, they're here in our community. So they're participating in the development and the growth uh, of the community. So it, sure. it has a, a community impact, it does. I like to say. So uh, I commend you for your work and what you're doing. Talk, talk to me about your your why uh this show is you know the road to why you talked about being in law enforcement you know that was your dream to, <laughs> yes. to be a police officer or a detective or what, what have you and you've taken a whole different journey in where you are now um do you think you're at the point where you're you're providing the same give back that you would have been able to do in law enforcement i would say so uh you know, the whole reason why I wanted to um, have a career in law enforcement, because, you know, when you, we all look in the mirror, we all know the person who we see, right? We know what <clears throat> makes them tick every day and what means a lot to, to you when you look in the mirror, right? And one of the things that, um, that's always been very important to me was to just, just this want and need to help other individuals. And so I always see, saw that law enforcement would be a way to do that. Mm -hmm. So I grew up in the, um, I was born in 79. So a lot of my teenage years were in the nineties. And at that time here in Dallas, we very, very active gang activity during that time. Mm -hmm. A lot of, a lot of high crime. And I grew and I was born and raised in, in Oak Cliff, grew up in Oak Cliff, still live in Oak Cliff. And 
you know, I saw a lot of things happen then, and, and a lot of times police were seen as the enemy, right? Mm -hmm. They were not seen as a friend or any kind of help whatsoever. And so I wanted to be a part of something different than that. I wanted to be inserted into that and, and change that and be a help to, to our community. And so that's why uh, that mixed in just with my innate need to, to or want to help people, wanting me to have a career in law, law enforcement. Um, I tried <laughs> a couple of times. Uh, to become a, a police officer, I even went the federal route with the FBI, and uh, it, it just didn't work out. But as I uh, just happened to have an internship with DART at that particular civil rights department, I, I, I could see there that I may be able, not be able to help people on the criminal justice side of the shop, but as far as acting in a civil rights capacity, helping small businesses grow and helping them in that way, uh, it really met that need, you know, gave me that... Um, that opportunity to assist people in that way. And I think, uh, I think in my uh, tenure there, I think I've been able to do that. What would you say was the most rewarding experience you had in your role? What, what do you recall where you said, aha, this is it. I love what I'm doing. Yeah. So, um, without, without saying names of companies Absolutely. or vendors or anything like that, you, you have to be, a master of um, conflict resolutions, and it's one of the hats you have to wear in my role. And so th there was a there was a time where uh, a small firm, uh, construction company, was completely losing um, millions of dollars on a monthly basis because uh, the prime contractor was not paying them in a timely mm -hmm. manner, and then would argue with them on invoices and things like that. This grown man sitting in front of me crying, right about. How am I going to pay my employees? Right. And you know, has all this stuff to do. So I bring the I bring the that that particular subcontractor in. I bring the prime in. You know, I, I let them hash out what's going on. Let them lay everything out on the table in front of me. And uh, during that discussion, you know, it was obvious that the prime contractor was doing that that subcontractor wrong. And so what I did is, you know, sometimes to get things done, especially at agents at a public agency where there's a lot of red tape. If you follow the rules, you know, sometimes it's it's okay to break the rules, right? Mm -hmm. Sometimes it's better to just ask for forgiveness <laughs> right. and permission. You go you go above everyone's head, and and you go straight to to finance to get things done, mm. to get monies paid out to this company, which I did. I went above my own boss's head. I went above everyone else that was below me uh, above me at that time to to demand that this person gets paid. Right. that dark pay him right now and then we recoup later on the from prime contractors so i had to talk to um our cfo and, the, and our ceo at that particular time bring him in all this without even talking to the vp of my department right but at the end of the day it was the right thing to do and it was justifiable and it got done and that really meant a lot to me and it meant a lot to that and he never for, he, he's never forgotten that yeah and you know we we still stay in contact and, you know, holidays, we'll reach out to there to make sure everything's going well. But yeah, that was, that was really life-changing for me and, and from a prof professional perspective. Yeah. Yeah. I, I heard a term earlier called, uh, connecting passion with purpose. And I yeah. think that, that day it's kind of all came together with you. Right. That's awesome. Let me just ask you, you're talking about a company that was not paying their subs. Mm -hmm. uh, did they remain a, and I, I don't want to know names, did they remain a dark prime? They did not. Okay. You know, that's part of my role now <laughs> and other part of diversity and vendor management is to make sure that we're evaluating these these uh, vendors after the after the fact, after the contracts that we evaluate them from, from A to C, every aspect of the contract, something that wasn't being done before. So that way when, if they ever decide to bid or propose on anything mm -hmm. else, 
we'll have that evaluation handy and we can always reference it. Yeah, absolutely. So talk to me about your, your upbringing, you know, who influenced your life? What gave you this drive? Even if it was in law enforcement, uh, who set the vision for you? I'm a little bit of a weird cat when it comes to that. <laughs> you may see me talk out of both sides of my mouth, but you know that my biggest influence uh, was my father. Okay, uh, he was a Vietnam vet, two tours in Vietnam, uh, two Purple Hearts, Bronze Star, and he, in raising me, he brought that uh, type of military uh, mentality, discipline to the household. Um, at the time, I hated it. <laughs> he he bring me to the restroom every time I didn't, you know, dry, dry out the sink after washing my hands and had to take your shoes off. It just was like, you know, he'd, he's the type that he would go drop his clothes off of the cleaners, have them heavily starched, take them out of the plastic and iron them again. So, wow. Yeah. So that was him. But, you know, very regimented lifestyle. I, I didn't like it at the time, but as I got older, I really appreciated it, especially when I uh, started to leave um, my parents, right? Move out of the house and that type of thing. And I found myself doing the same thing. Um, so he was a, he was a huge influence on me, taught me about respect, taught me how to treat other people. Um, I guess during more of my impressionable years though, uh, you know, music has had a, a very big impression on me. Awesome. And so, uh, you know, I've, you know, one of the biggest, one of my favorite bands in the world is a, is a band called Rage Against the Machine. And, um, they're very uh, active in the political scene and the, uh, the front man for that particular band is named Zach De La Rocha. And, uh, you know, this is pre, uh, pre-internet uh, years right okay. so you know he would stand on the stage and talk about political prisoners like uh leonard peltier and uh, mumia abul jamal and i'm listening to this guy talk about these types of things right and i'm like let me go find out about some go to the library reading about these individuals and i had the um the sabatistas in chiapas mexico and the indigenous movement there and it's just uh really you know, flooding my mind mm -hmm. with, with these uh, things that are going on that I had no idea about. So even though I'm a big supporter of our country, um, I'm a big supporter of America, there's things that I've done for this country uh, no one would know about or I could even speak to. I, I love this country to death, but I also know I cannot walk blind through this life Absolutely. to know that this country has done a lot of wrong as well. And, uh, you know, so I was very impressionable about both of those things mm. growing up. So... I, uh, to see people that live in a world now, especially on a political side where they're either red or blue and there's no in between, I just, I don't understand that. Yeah. You got to be able to see everything. Yeah, absolutely. And it's interesting. You were influenced by two different uh, sides, right? You had right. the discipline and your father. And by the way, you know, hats off to him uh, being a vet uh, and doing what he did for this country. But also you got awareness of some of the things that were done wrong here, right? And, right. And it continues, right? And I'm surprised you talk about things like critical race theory and, you know, mm -hmm. just the, uh, the weaponized, weaponization, I should say, of DEI now. It's that political environment coming back to our country that right. really could take us back. Uh, and that's a whole nother topic, so I'm not going to bore us with that. a few months away but, from an election year, right? Yeah, exactly. But with all of that said, uh, in today's political environment, uh, and I'm just speaking as a small business myself, mm -hmm. uh, what do you tell the DBE, WMBE, uh, the small business, uh, what do you tell them when they feel like the seat is being removed from the table? Uh, how would you communicate that to them? Well, to that point real quickly, I will mention this. The, uh, there has been a, uh, and you, you may have seen it from some of your colleagues, a tendency to, to sell out 
uh, to where we, a lot of these small businesses I've seen, it's, it's almost a trend, especially on the professional services side, are being acquired by larger firms. And um, that's that's one of the trends that I'm seeing now. But mm-hmm. when I have these conversations with with smaller companies, you know, luckily in North Texas, the region is, is the economy here in this region does very well. So it lays the foundation for small businesses to grow better than somewhere else uh, within the state. But you know, you have to just tell them to fight the good fight. You you tell them to get certifications in our world. In my world, are very important. You know, first and foremost, you want to get that DBE certification. If you once you once you graduate from that, keep that MWBE certification mm-hmm. because uh, two things. Once, it, if you're not certified, I don't see you. You don't exist in my world. Right. I cannot utilize you as um, as um, availability out there for our minority women owned business goals. So, to keep your certifications first and foremost is very important. And at the end of the day, um, having relationships with uh, our small business, uh, our USDOT small business uh, contacts that have tons of uh, free resources when it comes to uh, credit management, bonding, and insurance, and all, that, all those types of extra things that, uh, especially a new small business owner, may not really think are important. But when you're bidding on projects at a public agency, are very important. Got it. Um, how would someone? learn how to do business with DART if they are a small business, minority business? How would they learn that? Yeah, so that would be working closely with our department. We have an outreach uh, a division within our department that keeps um, close ear to the ground to all of our uh, new and emerging businesses from the minority women's status. They also We also have a small business academy on an annual basis where we invite only firms that have never done any work with DART before so they can come in and we have you know our VP of procurement, We'll have a uh, VP of finance. We'll have a uh, USDOT staff come and talk, talk to them about um, uh, credit management and bonding insurance. And we have, it's a whole two day uh, session where they can learn everything about how to, how to uh, submit bids and proposals uh, with DART. I recall that program. We went through it uh, several years ago. <laughs> so it's for- expanded since then. So yeah, really? But yeah. So Gabriel, uh, we're wrapping up here, but uh, I want to give you a chance to kind of close out and look at the audience and anything you want to share in your closing uh, remarks. Oh, well, um, first off, let me just thank you, Mr. Christmas. Thank you for having me on the show. Absolutely. And um, I uh, I would just tell, you know, the small business community or just the business community out there in general that uh, if you're uh, looking to do business with a public agency uh, like DART or if you've ever thought about uh Maybe you haven't worked in transportation in the past. Um, DART is uh, will welcome you with open arms. Um, we have a very uh, open door policy when it comes to any of our new businesses, but especially our minority women owned businesses. We have a, a, a place in our, in our agency for you to come to talk to, to, uh, to have any questions answered. And um, we have extremely strong goals at our agency. We have a strong support from our CEO when it comes to minority women-owned business inclusion in our procurement activities. Uh, just last year, we uh, achieved 51% of every single procurement dollar that was spent with to minorities and women. So that's over half of our dollars. So we have a very, and that, that equated to $250 million. So on an annual basis, we're about 500 million just last year. And again, half of that went over went to minority women-owned businesses. So we have a very strong program. We have a very inclusive program at DART. And we're looking forward to doing business with you now and in the future. Gabriel, you're doing amazing things. I love the passion. I love your background. Please hang in there. I know there's changes going on uh, as we speak. But in closing to the audience, I hope you heard. For all our small businesses, you know, don't give up the fight. Keep the fight. 
And until we see each other again, be blessed.